and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Ellen. And my name is Anna. And in today's episode, we're discussing Book 4, Chapter 7, Journey to the Crossroads, discussing belief in community. Ellen, I have really two questions for you. The first is this. Did you know what a stave was oh before <laughs> reading this chapter? <laughs> um, no, and I think I'm going to have to maybe change my, our sponsorship because today was <laughs> going to be brought to you by staves, which are just staffs, but fancy, is what I'm gathering. <laughs> yes, yeah, I the, the Tallsters, again, has brought new vocabulary into my life. I understood it from context, but right. did have to look it up to mm-hmm. confirm what it was. Yeah. I <laughs> love that that was your sponsor. <laughs> we were raised in the same household. <laughs> I, have a, I have a backup sponsor, but yeah, this, the staves really stuck out to me. <laughs> Right. I was like, what are they like a special kind of staff? Mm-hmm. Are they a certain kind of wood? I went down a whole stave rabbit hole and it turns out, no, they're just staffs. They're just staffs. Okay, good. I didn't Google it. I just assumed. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. But perhaps then related. Mm-hmm. So the quote from the chapter, right, is that there are two stout staves of polished wood shod with iron and with carven heads through which ran plated leathern thongs. Mm-hmm. What, if you could request a carved head stave, mm. would you have for the head of your stave? Such a good question. Thank you. I think I would want a unicorn. Because mm. then I could also use the stave as like a javelin. Oh, sure. If I needed to defend myself. Famous for your javelin abilities. I am. I am. You are. And I, I like a little bit of whimsy in my outdoor hiking gear. So the unicorn seems like it would fit both of those requirements. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you have an animal in mind? Or anything? I don't know why I felt like we needed to limit ourselves to animals. You know, I was trying to think about this kind of practically. Would it be Avril Lavigne? <laughs> First of all, I should be so lucky. But she strikes me, the pop punk princess that she is, mm-hmm. strikes me as one that would be carved more into the stave itself, not into the head. Right. So that you could get the full, like, let go album cover. Of course. Um, Just, you know, spitballing off the top of my head. <laughs> But, like, for whatever reason, I feel like an owl would be really cool. Mm. But I second-guess myself, so I'm glad you said unicorn, because I then had this moment of, like, would any kind of small protrusion, or in your case, large, with a unicorn horn, be kind of a pain to, like, wield as you're walking around? But I suppose it's, like, at the top of the stave, which I'm imagining to be taller than where you put your hand so it's not like you're constantly trying to hold on to the horn while you're walking i'm imagining these like trekking poles where you put your Mm -hmm. hand through the leather thong and then grip Mm -hmm. not like the top like a knobbly like a cane but like right grip the shaft of it through the handle Mm -hmm. okay so then i would definitely say either Mm -hmm. owl or some sort of dinosaur because as you know i love dinosaurs you love dinosaurs 
two great options. Maybe you could have like a double, double headed, <laughs> a double headed stave. Right. Shod with iron and blessed by Faramir. And blessed by Faramir, hand carved yeah. by T Rex. <laughs> I would carve Faramir into my stave. <laughs> if you had to pick a person. If I had to pick a person, it would be him. Mm-hmm. I respect that. Thank you. <laughs> well, without further ado, today we are talking about belief. Mm-hmm. And you have prepared a story for us, correct? I did bring a story, so I, I am ready to, to talk to you about a shared belief from our community, and I can't wait to hear if you have any experience with this as well. Mm, I'm intrigued. So in high school, I learned about this local legend called Weary Road. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> We're talking about Weary Road. <laughs> So this was a this was a country road about 45 minutes outside of our town that was haunted by Old Man Weary. Weary Road was basically a creepy country lane bordered by a row of very tall trees that had been planted there. The trees always seemed to be dead. Cannot confirm if that was real or not. And then at the very end of the lane, there was this bridge. There were a number of things that people believed would happen if you visited Weary Road, including my favorite, Old Man Weary would appear in your rearview mirror and get closer and closer each time you looked away and looked back. If you got out of your car, scratches were supposed to appear on your body. And then the big test was driving out onto the bridge and turning off your car. If you turned off your car on the bridge, the belief was that you wouldn't be able to turn it on again. And I have also heard that you needed to do it three times before that actually occurred. So there was some sort of magic in the, in the number of three. And growing up in a smallish town, there just wasn't a lot to do as a teenager. So we semi-frequently made trips out to Weary Road. Somehow, this was before Google Maps, which just seems really unbelievable to me. And half the fun of this trip was actually trying to find Weary Road itself in the dark, barely marked backwoods that we were driving through. Weary Road was definitely spooky at night. And while I have yet to see Old Man Weary, I absolutely would not return there by myself at night just to try to see him in my rearview mirror. So while the cornfields and the rows of trees were spooky enough, Those were not really hard to come by around our hometown. The real spookiness came from everyone's belief in the legend. A car full of 16-year-olds trying to simultaneously be cool and also have really active imaginations is an easy group to scare when you're out in the country at 10 p.m. in pitch black. So what I'm saying is that Weary Road was given its power because a group of people believed it was haunted. Otherwise... It was just a road. Did you go out to Weary Road in high school with groups of giggling 16-year-olds? No, I never did. <gasps> but I, in part because any time that we were going to go out there, we either got lost because we forgot our printed map quest yep. direction. Classic. Or because I think when it held some of its its most fervent scariness was also Mm -hmm. like right near 
your curfew <laughs> Oh, as yes. someone under the age of 18. And so my friends and I um, had a tendency to stick a bit closer to home and make brownies and watch Ryan Gosling movies. Oh, I love that for you. It was a great time. <laughs> All of the possibilities you represented were what I had heard as well about mm-hmm. the legend. I hadn't heard that the car needed to be turned off and turned on three times. That feels like a wear out your starter (laughs) kind of situation (laughs) since most 16 year olds are not driving like brand new vehicles. Well, I know it was that you had to visit three times before it could happen. So you like you drove out there and then the third time that you turned or maybe the I don't know, maybe the fourth. There was some like you either had to try it three times or the third time you went out there and turned it off. That was the time (laughs) it wouldn't turn back on. I'm imagining like ghostly old man weary with this huge ghostly whiteboard. Yes. <laughs> or like, like an abacus. a license plate. Yes. <laughs> oh, that I should haunt them. No, it's nope. not quite the Mm-mm, third time yet. Second time. <laughs> well, that was my, that's my story on belief. And I liked it because it did have the, that community aspect and what made Weary Road Magical. Again, we should really impress upon the listener that we grew up in a pretty smallish town. Like, this was... (laughs) It was fun. It was a natural byproduct of there not being much else to do. Well, speaking of not much to do, this chapter's kind of short. I listened to it in less than 30 minutes, so I would like to hear your recap of what occurred in chapter seven journey to the crossroads of weary road (laughs) journey to weary road so (laughs) the events of the chapter are are these faramir gifts sam and frodo sustenance and staves of course which we have now learned what they are sam frodo and Gollum depart from the merry men of faramir the trio walks through a forest, and the atmosphere grows sort of ever more ominous. They have to decide to turn eastward. The traveling becomes a bit more perilous and a bit more challenging because it grows increasingly dark and seemingly asynchronous to the actual progress of a day. The crew stops for a rest. And when they awake, it's still dark, though it's almost noon. Gollum is nowhere to be found. There's kind of this rumbling that grows louder and louder and louder. When Gollum returns, he sort of rushes the hobbits to keep going to the crossroads, a.k.a. Weary Road. And when they reach the crossroads, they find a huge statue of an ancient king whose head has been sort of lopped off just as the sun sets and Frodo comments that the king has a crown because these like wildflowers, I assume, have kind of grown around it to form a a sort of crown. And that's the chapter. (laughs) Yay, all the things that happened. Well done. We get a lot of description of the environment. Yes. And that's really most of what the chapter is. Yes, and of the ever-increasing darkness Mm -hmm. so that's what happens but knowing that today's theme is belief where did you see examples of that theme throughout the chapter 
I want to start with an honorable mention, mm. and then I swear I'll stop talking about Weary Road. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Never stop. That's Never part stop. of the power. Mm-hmm. But there, there's a quote on page 345 that really reminded me of being out on Weary Road, mm-hmm. and this is... I think from Frodo's point of view, or maybe the narrator's, but it's at the top of the page, quote, but there was an evil feeling in the air, as if things might indeed be passing up and down that eyes could not see. And I almost thought this was a belief, like maybe Frodo is believing in some sort of magic of this evil tower that they're passing underneath, but it didn't quite feel like that so it just gets an honorable mention and now i will officially start with today's examples perfect so the first example is on page 342 and this is a quote from faramir quote your guide must be blindfolded said faramir but you and your servant samwise i release from this if you wish and i included this because it seems that faramir is really believing in Frodo and Sam's goodness, but is still skeptical of Gollum. And for that reason, he is holding Gollum to the promise of you need to stay blindfolded while allowing Frodo and Sam to pass with their eyes open. And I started thinking on this about the difference between values and belief, because it's like, oh, you know, Faramir really values goodness and truth. How is that different from him believing that Frodo and Sam are true? And the the internet explains quite succinctly the main difference between values and belief is that values are principles ideals or standards of behavior while beliefs are convictions that we generally accept to be true so throughout the rest of my examples we'll see that people's values tend to lean into their beliefs Mm. That seems an important distinction, too. I, I guess I had kind of assumed that values are things that you kind of hold in your mind, but beliefs are almost like, I don't know, they seem to be without evidence, almost like belief and faith to me sound very much the same. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of spiraling here thinking about this. <laughs> that is a very interesting distinction. I'm excited to hear your other examples because I, I want to think about that a bit more. Yeah. Well, let's go to my next one then, which is on page 346. And this is, we see a couple different examples of Gollum not believing in the safety of where they're at. But the the quote that I thought showed that most succinctly, quote, at last Gollum turned to the hobbits. Day soon, he said, hobbits must hurry. Not safe to stay in the open in these places. Make haste. And he has a real belief that they are in imminent danger as they're hurrying them around. Somehow the stakes have really risen since they've left the Merry Men. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Do you believe that Gollum feels that danger is more imminent because the environment is such? Or is it because we kind of know the betrayal that Gollum... It's going to do a betrayal um, mm-hmm. upcoming and that it's like the guilt that's pushing him to continue moving and to kind of like get it over with almost. I think the start of the chapter is the first thing. Mm-hmm. He seems to be genuinely scared of being seen out on the road. 
Mm-hmm. But then as it continues and as he disappears, I do think it shifts the other way. Mm-hmm. And that's actually such a nice transition into my next example. Thank you for saying this. Oh, perfect. Which is Sam's beliefs about Gollum. Mm-hmm. And this was a complex enough evolution throughout this chapter that I have three quotes. So Gollum disappears in this chapter. And the first moment that Sam notices this is on page 347. And he says, quote, off hunting, I suppose. But then as time wears on, on page 348, we see him ask as he's woken up, quote, where's Gollum? He said, hasn't he come back yet? He talks negatively about Gollum here, and I feel this sort of shift in his opinion as as time has worn on. And then when Gollum finally reappears on page 349, Sam is described as being suspicious twice. So in the middle of the page, quote, Sam stared at him suspiciously. And then at the bottom, quote, Sam was filled with deep suspicion and showed it. Mm. And so over these three pages, I thought Sam doesn't really have it in him to believe somebody is bad without proof. Even Gollum, who he doesn't really trust, he starts from a point of goodness because I think Sam really values goodness and he values honesty in others. But as it goes on, it's like suspicion is an almost belief because we're not quite convicted that the person is in fact bad so sam can even to this point only get himself to be suspicious of Gollum because Gollum hasn't yet proven him to be untrustworthy so this was like an evolution from oh i value this thing i believe he's just off hunting to as more time comes on i'm starting to lean towards that belief that he's bad but sam doesn't quite get there he ends with suspicion Mm-hmm. Right, because his value is integrity. Mm-hmm. And goodness. Right, and his belief is that people, sentient beings, mm-hmm. are perhaps inherently good. They have, they mean well. He takes a optimistic approach to the world. Mm-hmm. And so his belief is challenged by Gollum's actions. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I had to. This has been very enlightening. I feel like I hadn't really thought about how values and beliefs interact previously, but I do think it's a good call out to understand how they are not one in the same, mm-hmm. even though they are one may feed to another, right? right? Or enough enough experiences may cultivate a certain belief and then that may over time become a value for example right so that was that was an evolution that i i wanted to to bring to this because i love sam and i always want to talk about him (laughs) (laughs) and i think he's a good proxy for the reader in this case as well Mm -hmm. right where you're like you're already a little bit on edge you've traveled away from some safety and security of of faramir's men And now you're in this particularly grim landscape, oppressive darkness. Like, it would be hard 
given that environment to find the best in people just without any catalyst to think otherwise. And now there's this catalyst of Gollum being absent for no good reason. Yeah, for a long time. You didn't come back with any rabbits. Where have you been? Right. I've got Q's and I need A's. And he doesn't get them. Right. Yet. Dun, dun, dun. Ominous. My next example, again, Sam. We love him. Page 348. As he has awoken uh, after being asleep, he's confused about what time it is. Haven't you had no sleep, Mr. Frodo, he said? What's the time? Seems to be getting late. And Sam really believes that much more time has passed than it actually has because he's not used to this new time zone or whatever that they're in where there is no sunrise and sunset. It's all just brown twilight. Okay, so he's in Iceland in November. Yeah, he's in Iceland in November. (laughs) The sun never fully rises. He's confused. And then my last example is my favorite, and it's almost the last sentence in the chapter. So Frodo has seen the crown again on the king. He has seen this last little glimmer of sunlight creeping through the encroaching darkness. And his quote is, they cannot conquer forever. And I think that really ends with Frodo's belief in goodness and his belief that this quest is worthwhile and that even if he doesn't succeed, they won't win for forever. There will be someone else to step up and resist against Sauron and any encroaching darkness. Mm -hmm. I like that that was at the end. It felt like after sort of a great chapter, a a nice way to end it. Even though then the last words are, and as if the shuddering of a lamp, black night fell. Right. I do think, though, your earlier callouts, I mean, not even in this book, right, but leading up until now, all of what we've read, Tolkien makes such a concerted effort to call our attention to, like, the sun and using light as a very sort of literal metaphor for Mm -hmm. the journey of our, you know, any protagonist that we're journeying with at that time. And I thought that this chapter just draws that line of good and evil light and dark so distinctly and so literally from the exposure to light as well yeah that it is such a nice like pairing with there's this last glimmer of light frodo feels the vitamin d he has hope and says this very hopeful thing and then it all fades to black which i think also (laughs) is a good foreshadowing for our upcoming chapter and i love That the way that he sees that the light is still going is that he saw it glowing on Sam's face. Mm -hmm. I mean, you cannot get any clearer of this companion of yours is your light to keep going through these next dark chapters. It's all Sam. Mm -hmm. This is a Sam Stan account. Yes. (laughs) Exclusively. We love Gamgee. He is... Well, he's the brave. He's he's yeah. important. He's the brave and he's the light. And to that, it kind of falls on the, the king's head as well, right? So there seems to be this sort of additional light around enlightenment, a rebirth, a, a promise of something anew, right? Like there's just all of this imagery wrapped up into a very succinct 
paragraph. So just a, a shout out to the exquisite writing of this chapter as well. It's a good book. Who knew? <laughs> even even book four. Who knew? Who knew? Not just a sad, slow walk, sad, slow. but perhaps very enjoyable. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay, so those are my examples. Did you have any from the chapter that you wanted to bring to the group? You know, there was one that you didn't mention, but it is also a talking with Tolkien quote for me. Perfect. So perhaps we should transition. Yes, and how about you start us off with our talking with Tolkien. I will do just that. I haven't done that in a while. There's just no neat segue from that. Um, <laughs> and I would imagine that you also have this quote. So okay, yeah. it's on page 348. It's Sam, right? Mm-hmm. And he is talking to Frodo. It's kind of a bleak conversation about how the journey is drawing to an end, right? So Frodo seems to make this vague reference to death. I mean, to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. And Sam says... Maybe, said Sam, but where there's life, there's hope, as my gaffer used to say, and need of vittles, as he most ways used to add. And I liked this sort of belief in where there are people, where there is life, there is still hope, because there are people who can take action and to do something more, do something differently, or stand up and, and address something. And so I liked that quote in particular. It felt like a belief in and sort of a reflection of Sam's value in the goodness of others, as well as his love for snacks and that yes, vittles are also needed. The snacks <laughs> was such a good addition. I fully agree. It's like, yeah, this matters. And also bring a bring a granola bar. <laughs> bring some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any other talking with talking? You know, we already sort of talked about just the the lovely writing towards the end of the chapter. Mm. So I don't feel like we need to to revisit any in particular. Just all of it was so it was it was a delight to read. I thought it was very immersive. Like you felt yes. yourself in that space. I thought that was quite lovely. Yeah. But what quotes did you have? Just the one that you read. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I agree the last one, two, five paragraphs mm-hmm. where it starts as furtively as scouts within the encampment of their enemies, they crept down onto the road. Mm-hmm. From that into the end is so immersive. And you sort of forget that Frodo and Sam are there and aren't even going to talk. And it seems like maybe the, the author forgets as well because then it's, oh, look, Sam. He cried startled into speech like, oh, mm-hmm. look, there are people here, too, I need to write about. But it, it's such a good ending to the chapter. And it sets us up really well tonally for what's going to happen next. Yeah, I, w- I would say in particular, the, the piece that really got me is that sentence, Beyond sad Gondor, now overwhelmed in shade, the sun was sinking, finding at last the hem of the great slow rolling pall of cloud, and falling in an ominous fire towards the yet unsullied sea. Mm-hmm. Just like really, for whatever reason, that just just hit me. Sad Gondor. Nice... <laughs> Beyond sad Gondor. Yeah. 
was the unsullied sea. This is just excellent, excellent writing. And I, I agree. I think it sets us up nicely for what comes next. Again, talking and talking, favorite part of the episode. <laughs> I mean, it's all good. And mm-hmm. you should tell us as much on our Apple reviews. But also, <laughs> we have our favorites. Love it. Shameless plug. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have an action item for us today? I do have an action item today. It involves a brief bit of journaling. So if you don't have a journal, I I feel like writing with pen and paper is far superior to typing. I encourage you to do it, but I understand that that is not practical. So if you journal digitally, have at it. But I would like each of us to reflect and write down three of your core beliefs. Like take 15, 20 minutes, car ride, commute. What are three things that you really believe and find some time to to write them down and look at them? And then if you are comfortable, share it with someone you love. Because sharing that is a great way to to strengthen relationships. And that's what this podcast is all about. I think it also can be a good accountability measure. Because as humans, we are often, we aren't so linear as we like to think. So being able to state a belief, but then also being able to enact that belief as you move through the world can sometimes get a little tricky or Mm -hmm. sometimes get a a little less black and white. And so having someone to kind of remind you of your beliefs as you as you move through the world is also really helpful, I think. I have also found this to be particularly useful for decision making. Mm-hmm. If I'm torn on in a tough decision and I don't know which way to go, examining what I have as my three core beliefs is a, is a good way to help me decide the right path, even when there isn't the right, right path, just the best path. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so important to be able to do in community and to be able to convey, you know, and maybe community is one of your your beliefs, something Mm -hmm. around community and just kind of really sort of sitting with where there might be room for growth along that belief and to, to step into those spaces is something that I'm thinking about as I consider this exercise. So thank you so much for that, Ellen. You're welcome. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. Highlight of my week when we get to sit down and talk about Lord of the Rings and other interesting uh, side paths as they as they make themselves known. And I know that the um, the whole premise of this podcast, right, is that like communities spring up around fandoms, and this is a pretty lasting and and persistent uh, community, but. It has been such a lovely surprise to talk about things we explore in an episode with folks who reach out or to have as kind of an initial conversation piece for new friends, mm-hmm. new new acquaintances. Um, and I've been so pleasantly surprised by how many people have really like earnestly either been interested in our conversations or who have started listening. Like it's just such a lovely part of my week as well and turning into a way for me to navigate the world which is <laughs> kind of exciting i love that and we're not even halfway done and we're, there's so much more to come yes. everyone so gear up buckle up <laughs> gate your staves <laughs> grab your staves <laughs> we are going on a journey 
We're going on a long, slow walk together, yes. and it's going to be way more pleasant than some of what our characters have experienced. Oh, so true. Did we just write our season five yeah. opener? <laughs> yes. Oh Grab your staves. The creative process. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that action item, and I think we're ready to close. Today's podcast was brought to you by A Thick Growth of Gorse and Hortleberry. What is it? Who knows? But it's thick. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, And thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Did you hear that? I did indeed. Okay. I think the person above us um, golfs (laughs) in the apartment. So every once in a while I hear what sounds like a golf ball dropping. So shout out to the neighbors. I truly thought you knocked like a chapstick, like one of those um, no. <laughs> rolly chapsticks off your desk. That's funny. No, that's above me. <laughs> so, uh, circling back, mm-hmm. there's no way to segue from that. Um, other than perhaps the head of their putter is also a stave. Nice. Carbon head. <laughs> <laughs>